And as we were singing, there's a line in that song, and oh, you're the one we have, we've waited for. And I thought, you know, for some of us tonight, we come in tonight, and really the line should read, you are the one I am waiting for. You're the one I am waiting for. Jesus, I'm, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to do something about my situation. I'm waiting on you, God. And while we were praying in our prayer huddles, I was um, just getting a drink of water real quick and just reminded of just how often and easy it is for us to come into a gathering like this and to just kind of be very surface and to um, try to hide maybe what's, what's really going on inside our struggles, our frustrations with life. And I think if we're honest, most of us would, if we pressed hard enough or we took enough time, all of us could come up with something in our lives right now or people that we know or family or whatever where we say, man, I just do not like this right now. I don't like this for them or I don't like this for me. And we wonder, and we ask the question, God, what are you doing? Or we say, God, I don't like this. And that's kind of what we've been talking about as we've been studying the book of Habakkuk. And, and again, when we were singing It Is Well, and I was thinking about um, Habakkuk, I'm, I'm thinking, man, I bet if It Is Well was a song that they sang back then, which I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but if it was, that would have been like this dude's battle cry. I'm, I'm sure every morning as he got up and spent time with God that he would have sung that song. Because as we've said in past weeks through the series, you know, it, you may not be able to say it is well with my situation, but with Christ, you can always say it is well with my soul. And you can sing that song and you can mean it if Christ is in you tonight doesn't mean your situation is easy. It doesn't mean resolution is coming tomorrow or it's all going to go away. But when we are truly waiting and looking to Christ and reminding ourselves of who Christ is and what we have in Christ, you can sing, it is well with my soul. And I think of Horatio Spafford's, just all he went through, losing his family and, and his kids on the ship. And that's why he wrote that song. And I'm thinking, man, and he's, I love the last, and Lord, haste the day, and the trump, I mean, trumps all resound, and, and you can just see this man who's dealing with grief and frustration and wondering, God, what are you doing? God, I don't like this. And he's reminded to look to Christ. He's reminded to look to Christ, and he says, I cannot say it is well with my situation, but because of Christ, I can sing, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. I was just reminded of those thoughts tonight going into um, Habakkuk. You know, we are a people that long for justice, aren't we? We are a people that long for justice. And we see this on the athletic field. We see this on the court. By show of hands, and here's, an, here's an example of how we long for justice as a people. By show of hands, how many of you have ever heard this phrase or something similar to this phrase yelled at a basketball game. 
Come on, ref. Something similar, right? Or something like, come on, ref, call it both ways. Right? Or come on, ref, call a fair game. I found it interesting. I, I was watching the NBA Finals, and I found it very interesting that ESPN's coverage after every game was they had Steve Javi, a former NBA referee, evaluate the officiating of every game after it was over. And I found that interesting because I'm, like, I'm thinking, why, are, why do they bring this guy on and have him evaluate the officiating of every game? The reason why is because we want to know, was it fair? Why did my team only go to the free throw line 15 times and their team went to the free throw line 30 times? Explain that one, Mr. Javi. Explain that. And so he gets on there and he gives his evaluation of the officiating of the game. And I thought, you know, the very phrase, come on, ref, and I won't ask for a show of hands how many of us have ever said something similar to that ever, whether it's basketball game, baseball, come on, ump, or soccer for us, whatever it might be. But really those, those expressions, you know what they are? They're, they're cries for justice, aren't they? They're really cries for justice. We want justice because we feel, hey, this was unfair. And, and so when we say, come on, ref, what are we really saying? I, somebody has hurt me. You're not calling this fair. I want justice. And so we take it upon ourselves to be the giver of justice, right? We see this in our homes with kids. You know, we come in, we hear a squabble with the children, and, and we walk in, and we go, well, what happened? Well, he kicked me. Well, why did he kick me? Response is, well, she deserved it, right? She deserved it or he deserved it. Little Billy has automatically now become the giver of justice, right? But little Billy has a longing for justice. It is something all of us have. If you've ever seen the movie at Christmas time, A Christmas Story with Ralphie and the Little Red Rider BB gun, right? Okay, and there's a scene in that movie where Farkas is the bully, and Ralphie is walking, and it's winter, and Farkas and his pal pick up these snowballs and start just pelting Ralphie, right? Have you ever seen that? Okay, you've seen that movie. And there's a scene, that's the scene, and they're, they're pelting Ralphie with the snowballs, and one hits Ralphie right square in the face. He's got glasses and just hits him right there. And you're wondering, oh, man, what's, what's he going to do, right? And in your heart, you're going, oh, I mean, you feel for Ralphie, right? I mean, in your heart, maybe not your heart, but my heart, when Ralphie takes off and like pulverizes Farkas, I'm going, yes, finally, somebody, please, thank you. And Ralphie goes, and I mean, I watched it on you, watched it again, that scene on YouTube, and he is, Ralphie is just pulverizing Farkas, right? And you're just like, I mean, in your heart, you may not be saying it out loud, maybe you are, but you're just like, yes, justice, right? Justice. Somebody gave justice to Farkas. Thank you. And we see it all the time. We see it on the freeway, right? When the guy going 85 actually gets pulled over, right? And you're like, finally, finally, right? We see that. There's something in us that longs for justice. And whether it's calling out the ref on a bad call or quietly rejoicing when Ralphie pulverizes Farkas, there is something in us that longs for fairness. We long for it. 
And we see our longings for justice expressed in more serious ways in all the efforts to, to stop or bring an end to things like poverty, child abuse, human trafficking. We see our longings for justice expressed in our desire to bring clean water, which we have been a part of as a church at times. And so when we look at our world and our very own lives and don't like what we see and justice doesn't come, what do we do? Well, here's what we do. Our cries go from come on ref to come on God, call it both ways. When it when our these injustices deal with us and our lives, we transition from come on ref and now we're going come on God, call it both both ways. What are you doing? God, I don't like this. And we wonder, God, are you going to bring justice? God, are you going to make things right? And if you've ever felt that or you've ever said that, you're not alone. You're not alone. Habakkuk understood and felt this longing for justice. Go with me to the book of Habakkuk as we continue our study there. It's near the middle of the Bible. It's only three chapters long. And just kind of recap where we've come. Habakkuk is really a conversation. It's a dialogue between God's prophet Habakkuk and God himself. And Habakkuk doesn't like what God is doing. You see, God's people, Judah, they are sinning like it's nobody's business. And Habakkuk, God's prophet, is wondering, God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you bringing justice upon your people? And so he expresses that to God. He questions God on this. And he says, God, what are you going to do about this? That's verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. God's response to Habakkuk's question, his first question, is found in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. 11. And God says, okay, listen, I've got a plan. I am going to bring justice upon my people. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring the wicked, evil Babylonians to be my agents of justice upon my people. Well, Habakkuk's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. They're more wicked than we are. Why are you going to use, as we, and we've used the illustration of the, the, the Babylonian Urukai, why are you going to use them to be the agents of justice on your own people, God? That doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? I, I found this, and I thought it was a much better way to equate this. It's kind of like us going to the police saying, um, what do you, you need to do something about the robberies in our neighborhood, and their response is, oh, we've already taken care of it. We've scheduled a nuclear warhead to completely annihilate your neighborhood next week. I mean, that, you, I mean that's, just, that's how drastic God's response was to, to Habakkuk. You're, you're going to do what, God? You're going you're gonna to use them? And so Habakkuk responds. And Habakkuk's like, okay, I'm remembering God's promises. I know God is a good God. I know he's holy. I know he's pure. I don't understand why he would use them. And then he questions God on why he's using them. And we read that in verse 17 of chapter 1. And Habakkuk says this, is he to keep on, referring to the Babylonians, are the Babylonians to keep on emptying their nets, destroying nations without mercy? What's he saying? What's Habakkuk's question? God, where's the justice? Are you going to bring them to justice? Okay, I understand you're going to use them to bring justice upon us and upon your people, but what are you going to do with them, God? What are you going to do with the guy going 85? You're going to bring him to justice? Why am I always the one that gets a ticket? What are you going to do with that guy? 
And that's where we leave or left Habakkuk. And he says in chapter 2, I will stand at my watch. And he says, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for God's answer. And that's where we find him. We find Habakkuk waiting. And in the midst of his waiting, God speaks. God responds. And he responds to Habakkuk's question, God, what are you doing? God, are you going to bring justice? And God's response is this. And here's what I want you to get. For the, this is all you get. This is all you get. It, this is what you need to walk away with, what I need to walk away with tonight. God's response is this. Justice is coming. Wait for it. Living by faith, looking to Christ. Justice is coming. Wait for it. Living by faith, looking to Christ. And that's God's response. Because God's response is really the rest of chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. I'll read some of it, the beginning part of it, and then the ending of it. Chapter 2, verse 2. Here is God's response to Habakkuk's question. God, are you going to bring justice? God, I don't like what you're doing, but are you going to bring justice? To these people. Verse 2 Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up, and here God is referencing the Babylonians. He's saying, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. That was the cry of the Reformation. The righteous will live by his faith. Verse 5, indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? And then again, God gives another woe in verse 9. He says, Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. Verse 12, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Again, referencing these Babylonians. Verse 13, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Verse 16, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. Verse 18. Of what value is an idol, since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. 
God responds to Habakkuk's cry for justice, and God's response is this, justice is coming. Justice is coming. There's going to be a day, Habakkuk, when I'm going to make things right, when all things are going to be right. There's going to be a day. He says that in verse 2, write down the revelation. Verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. And so then God continues to describe these Babylonians and and he gives all these woes. There's five woes. Woe to him, verse 6, who piles up stolen goods. Verse 9, woe to him who builds his realm. Woe, verse 12. Woe, verse 15. And really the, the root word of the word woe means sorrow. So really God is saying sorrow is going to come to these evil Babylonians. Sorrow is coming. And then in verse 16, God's very strong and he says, the cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. Whenever the cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, that's not a good thing. Okay, this is, this is God's wrath. God's judgment is going to be poured out upon these Babylonians. And so God's saying sorrow is going to come to the Babylonians. The cup from the Lord's wrath is going to come around to them. God announces sorrow is coming for the proud, arrogant, unjust, murdering, barbaric, idol-worshipping Babylonians. Justice is coming. It's coming. And God is going to do to the Babylonians what they did to others. Justice will be served. God's going to make it right. And this had to be good news to Habakkuk. Right? Had to be good news. Yes, finally. Okay. God's going to bring his justice. God's going to bring his justice. God's going to make things right. You know, and as I was reading this, and the reality that God is giving this message to Habakkuk that justice is coming, I think God's announcement of coming justice reminds us that justice is going to come when Christ returns. Justice is coming when Christ returns. It's kind of like that phrase, well, when dad gets home, right? When dad gets home, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about this. Because there have been a lot of injustices going around in this house, right? There's been a lot. Little Billy's acting up again. Not picking on anybody named Billy, but we're just using Billy tonight. All right? Billy and Susie, you know, they're acting up again. And mom, you know, just had it. And we come home, and she's in the corner. Mom is. And, and Billy and Susie are beating each other up and whatever. And... And, you know, dad walks in, let me tell you what took place today in our house. You need to do something with your kids. You, get, you, need, to, you need to do something because it's, it, I, I've had it up to here. And, and it's this whole thing. When dad gets home, justice is coming. And we look at our situation sometimes. We look at our world and we so, see so many injustices. And, and at times God brings justice now. But you can be guaranteed that there's coming a day when God's justice will come. And it will come at the return of Jesus Christ. God's justice will come. God is going to make things right when his son returns. When King Jesus comes back, things are going to be made right again. And when dad gets home, there will be justice. And so when we look at our world and we go, God, are you doing anything? God says, yes, justice is coming. You need to wait for it. Living by faith, looking to Christ. You need to wait for it. 
It was the whole return of Christ that enabled the very first century Christians to persevere through the suffering that they were experiencing. Keep your finger in Habakkuk chapter 2 and go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. You see, God says justice is going to come. And for us today, justice is going to come when Christ returns. Christ is going to come back and make things right. For in Revelation, it says, Jesus says, listen, I'm coming, and there's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more, no more suffering. Things are going to be made right. I will make all things right. And it was the very reality and truth that Jesus was coming back that enabled the first century Christians who were suffering to continue to persevere. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and following. The writer says this, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And then he quotes Habakkuk 2, 4. He says, but my righteous one will live by faith. If you're here tonight and you have a situation going on in your life and you're going, where's the justice? Maybe justice isn't coming for you right now. Look to the return of Jesus. Look to Christ's coming. Be reminded that when he comes, things are going to be made right. And as you look to Christ, you will, and he will enable you to persevere through the difficulty. And so God's announcement in Habakkuk to Habakkuk that his justice is coming is a reminder to us as a church, justice is going to come ultimately when Christ returns and we need to keep looking to Christ's coming. Christ's coming. What do you do when you don't like what God is doing and you're longing for justice? You remember Christ's coming. And we have some lessons here on God's justice. He says God's coming justice is to be shared with others. Verse 2. In Habakkuk chapter 2, the Lord says, write down the revelation. Why? Make it plain on tablets so that, here's the reason, a herald may run with it. A herald may run with it. God says you need to tell people that my justice is coming. You need to tell people this. You need to give them this news. And depending upon who's receiving the news, God's coming justice was either an announcement of good news or bad news. It was either good news or bad news, depending upon who you are and your right standing with God. God tells Habakkuk to write it down, make it plain. And so when people would come and hear God's coming justice is coming, God's justice is coming, okay, I need to share this. I need to share this with others. It was either good news or bad news. And God's announcement to share the message of his coming justice is a reminder for us as the church that we also have a message to share. We have a message to share. And the message is this, that the justice for our sin has been paid for through Christ's blood on the cross. 
We have a message to share. When God says, write it down, he's saying, this is serious. The only time I remember God saying, write this down, was like the Ten Commandments, right? Or not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole law. And he's going, write this down. This is serious stuff. This is stuff you need to know. And he's telling Habakkuk, you need to write this down. And you need to tell people that my justice is coming. You need to share the message. And share the message for us is that God's justice for our sin was satisfied on the cross. The justice for our sin, God's wrath upon our sin was satisfied through Christ on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul writes, he says, God has committed to us, to the church, this message of reconciliation. And we are God's ambassadors. We have a responsibility as the church, whether it's locally or globally, to share the message that God's justice for our sin has been paid in full through Christ on the cross. That's why we go to Romania. That's why we go across the street. That's why we serve people, because we have a message to share. We are heralds of the good news of Jesus. And when you don't like what God is doing and you're wondering, God, where's the justice? Remember that justice for your sin has been paid for through Christ and his cross. And share that message. When you don't like what God is doing, remember Christ is coming. Remember Christ's cross. Remember his cross and share the message of the cross with somebody. When you don't like what God is doing, remember Christ's cross. But then he says, okay, you need, you need to let people know and share the message that my justice is coming. But he says, to my justice has an appointed time. Verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It will certainly come, he says, and it will not delay. God has predetermined a time where he's going to send justice upon the Babylonians. It's on his timetable, not Habakkuk's. God knows what he's doing. And as we've said before, we can't confuse God's silence with inaction. God's silence is really his sovereignty speaking. And we need to remember that. And God reminds Habakkuk of that. He says, listen, my coming justice has an appointed time. And what's interesting to me is God's coming justice didn't, that announcement did not change Habakkuk's circumstance. Didn't change it. This announcement to Habakkuk didn't mean that Habakkuk was going to, all of a sudden, his circumstances were going to change. No, he lived through the actual well, or experience, at least as part, from, in part of his life, the Babylonians coming and bringing justice. His suffering didn't change. And God says, listen, I have a plan I have a plan. I'm working this plan for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not harm you, he says in Jeremiah 29. God has specific time. There is a purpose for your pain tonight. There's purpose for the struggle that you're going through tonight. God has a plan. There's a specific timetable for your life. John 17, 1, Jesus calling out to the Father. Before, um, he says this, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son. There was a specific time for the cross. Galatians 4, 4, Paul says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his Son. There was a specific time for the incarnation. And there's a specific time that God has for you and the struggle that you're going through. It's all part of a bigger plan. And God's announcing his justice and that it has an appointed time reminds us that Christ is in control. Christ is in control. 
John 11, 1 through 5, I think Tim spoke on this the last time, and he talked about how, you know, Jesus wept and Jesus understands our infirmities. And what's interesting to me in that beginning of that passage is Jesus gets the news that Lazarus is sick, and the phrase is, yet he stayed two more days. There's a specific purpose for suffering. There's a specific um, time. There's a plan. Doesn't doesn't mean it's easy. I'm not saying, well, this okay. All of a sudden, now I'm able to get through this and you know, a smile on my face. No. But when we remember that Christ is in control, we remember that there's a purpose for our pain. There's a purpose for our struggle. A purpose for our suffering. And we need to remember that Christ is in control. God's coming justice, having an appointed time, reminds us that Christ is in control. When you don't like what God is doing and you wonder where's the justice, you remember Christ is coming. You remember Christ's cross. You remember that Christ is in control. And God's coming justice was for those who were depending upon the righteousness of self, not the righteousness of God. Verse 4. He says, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but God is contrasting something, but the righteous will live by his faith. Verse 18, God says, what value is an idol or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. There's no breath in it. Verse 20, but the Lord, he's contrasting, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God's justice is coming for those who make their own gods, whose God is self. Look at verse 5. It says, indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. This past week, um, a friend of mine sent me a Facebook message I hadn't seen in probably over a year. Lives in Springfield, Ohio. He says, listen, I have a bus. I'm picking up this mega bus going to Chicago, downtown Cincinnati, and i got to stop there. I'll you know, have about an hour. Could you meet me? About 5.30 to 6.30. So I said, sure. So I meet him. Well, I, I, I get down there about a little after 5 or so, and I'm just sitting down uh, on one of the benches right downtown, 4th and Vine. And I'm just sitting there, I'm just watching people walk by. I'm just watching them. And I had tweeted while I was watching people go by, I said, man, there's so many different stories. Every person has a story. And I just tweeted that and I said, there's so many needs and so many people that need Jesus. No lie, 30 minutes later, this kid comes walking by, walking by me with like a survey. And he asks if I would sign the survey. I said, well, what's it about? And we got time. I said, well, what's your name? He said, Christian. I said, well, are you one? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, yes. I said, well, you know, actually, we probably have to define what we mean by Christian, don't we? And he said, yeah. I said, so how would you define what a Christian is? He said, well, you know, I'm trying to be good and trying to do good things. And, you know, my sister goes to church a lot more. And, you know, I'm like, okay. And, you know, he's using this whole self-righteousness thing. And I told him, I said, you know, I understand that. And I said, you know, the, the reality of trusting in yourself is, you're, how do you know if you're ever good enough? What's the standard? How do you know? I mean, there's always somebody that's going to be doing a lot more good than I am. How do you know if that's acceptable to God? 
And I began to tell him, I said, listen, it's not about our righteousness. It's about the righteousness of Christ that we are saved and come into right standing with God. So I began to share with him and gave him my email address and, and all this. But we live in a culture, in a world where there, we're look no different than the Babylonians, and we've all been there. Apart from Christ, all of us are depending upon ourselves for our own righteousness. We're looking to self. We're looking to idols. And God says, no, it's the righteous who live by faith. It's the righteous. Well, what kind of righteousness? And you have to ask, well, no one's righteous. Romans 3 says there's nobody righteous, but the righteous live by faith. So how does someone that's not righteous get the righteousness that satisfies God? Romans chapter 3, but there is a righteousness that comes from God. And through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, God sends his righteousness upon you that sets you free from trying to be good because it's all the goodness of Jesus that he puts in you that makes you right with God. That's what being a Christian is. That's what being a Christian is. And God's announcement that his justice is coming upon the self-righteous reminds us to look at our own lives. What are you trusting in to make you right with God? If you are trusting in anything other than the righteousness of Christ, your destiny is the same of the Babylonians. Hell. The cup of the Lord's wrath. But that doesn't have to be your destiny. Look to the righteousness of Christ. Put your faith and your trust and your confidence in the righteousness of Christ and his death on the cross and his new life from resurrection. Put your faith in that. And God says when you put faith in that, in the person of Jesus Christ, his righteousness comes on you. But we need to be reminded here when God says, my, my wrath is coming upon those who are trusting in self and their own righteousness. It reminds us what are we trusting in? What are you trusting in tonight? It doesn't, and he said, well, I've gone to church a lot. Listen, if you're here tonight and you're trusting in your church participation, that's not the righteousness of Christ. If you're trusting in how good you are, that's not the righteousness of Christ. doesn't matter how many years you've gone to church. None of that. What matters is who Jesus is and what he did for you on the cross and three days later. later. And when you put your faith and trust in him, as I said, and as the scriptures teach in Romans chapter 3, faith through Christ and his blood shed on the cross, there's forgiveness of sin and you are set free from the justice of God. And you're forgiven forever. And now you are with him forever, anticipating his return. And he comes and lives inside of you. It's interesting to me in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus pronounces all these woes upon the self-righteous Pharisees. And he says, they are condemned to hell. What righteousness are you trusting in tonight? Look to Christ. Receive Christ tonight. Right now in this moment, if you're, not, if you're here not trusting in Christ, trust Christ right now in this moment. And his spirit will come inside you and set you free. And set you free. God's justice, coming justice, reminds us that in Christ there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Hell is not your destiny for those who are in Christ. Heaven is in the very presence of God forever. And if you're here tonight and you possess the righteousness of Christ, it is party time. Celebrate what Christ has done. There's reason to rejoice if you're here in Christ tonight because you're set free forever. There's, you're not condemned, so stop condemning yourself if you're in Christ tonight.
You're set free because of Christ. It's amazing how we see Jesus in the gospel in the book of Habakkuk. But we do. God's coming justice also will reveal that he is the true God, and we see that in verse 20. Psalm 9.16 says, The Lord is known through his justice. And I believe God revealing who he is through his justice is a reminder to us that the purpose for social justice and bringing justice is making Christ known. That's the purpose. Our motivation for feeding the hungry, our motivation for giving water to the thirsty is so that they would see Jesus. Because didn't Jesus say, give that parable? He said, listen, they were saying, well, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? He said, whenever you met the need of the least of these, you were doing it to me. And so when you go and give a cup of water to someone that's thirsty, when you go take a blanket to someone that's homeless, when you go meet a need, you are making Christ known. Because he is our motivation for bringing justice. He's the motivation. So what do you do when you don't like what God is doing and you long for justice? You remember justice is coming, and you wait for it. You wait for it. That's what God says. He says, though it linger, verse 3, wait for it. And what's interesting to me is this is in the imperative. And just the other day, i got to share this with you. I think this is such a cool thing. I was thinking, okay, if God says, I'm commanding you, Habakkuk, to wait. So when Habakkuk was waiting and it was a command, what was he doing? He was obeying God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Obey my commands. So follow this. This is sweet. At least it was to me. The Spirit was just kind of helping me see, put all these passages together. So waiting, God says wait. And if you find yourself in a stage of waiting, God, that's a command from God to wait. And so if you are waiting, looking to Christ, living by faith, you are being obedient to Christ. And because you're being obedient to Christ, you are expressing love to Christ. So if you find yourself tonight waiting for God's justice, waiting for God to do something, and you're doing it looking to Christ, you know what you're doing? You are expressing love to Jesus Christ through the very act of waiting. See, we often look at waiting as, oh, I hate it. I hate to wait in line. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate all this. I mean, and that's probably good to hate those things because I hate them. But when it comes to, to waiting for God to do something in our lives, we go, God, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to look to Christ as I wait, and as I wait, I'm expressing love to you because I'm obeying you. And there's something that happens when we wait, people, where as you wait, Paul said what, this, and he was quoting Jesus. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Isaiah chapter 40, what did, what did the prophet say? Have you not heard? Right? And then at the very end, he talks, and he says, they will mount up with wings as eagles. They will walk and not faint. And he talks about he will renew their strength. And that word renew literally means exchange. You know what happens when we wait on the Lord? An exchange of strength takes place. God exchanges the strength that you don't have with the strength that he has during the waiting. And some of us, we know what that's like when we've been in that position. We're just waiting for God to do something, and you're going, God, I don't like this. You know what's enabling you to get through is the very strength of God exchanging his strength for your weakness. And so waiting is not a negative. Waiting is an act and an expression of love to Jesus Christ. And finally, he says, you need to live by faith. 
you need to live by faith. He says the righteous will live by faith. That's the difference. The righteousness of God through Christ, enabling us to keep on living by faith, looking to Christ. God describes the difference between his people and the Babylonians. And Romans 1.17, go there. Romans chapter 1.17. Paul again quotes Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul writes this, and it's familiar for some of us. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It is a righteousness from God, it is a righteousness through faith, and it is a righteousness through faith looking to Christ, his death and his resurrection. And what's amazing is the very faith to look to Christ comes from God himself. Ephesians chapter 2. It is the gift of God. What's he referencing? The faith. It's all God. All the time. Tim Keller said this, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. That's why when you don't like and I don't like what God is doing, God says, listen, justice is coming. Justice is coming. Remember, Christ is coming and is going to make things right. Remember Christ and his cross. Remember Christ is in control. Remember if you're here tonight standing and sitting in the righteousness of Christ, there is no condemnation for you. And remember that it's making Christ known that is our motivation for bringing justice to those in need and wait. Express your love to Jesus by waiting, living by faith. You see, the faith given to us by God to believe Christ and his cross is the same faith he continues to give us as we wait for justice at Christ and his coming. Let's pray. God, thank you for chapter two. God, there's so much here. And I pray that we're able to hang on to the truths here. And God, I pray that there might be some people here tonight, God, where they just look at their life and they look at their situation and they go, God, what are you doing? I pray, God, that you would exchange their weakness with your strength. And God, I pray that if there are some here tonight where they've been trusting in the righteousness of themselves rather than your righteousness, I pray that tonight they would lay their righteousness down at the cross and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ tonight, that they would believe Christ and be saved. God, I pray tonight that we would again remember that justice is coming. Give us the strength to wait for it, living by faith, looking to Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.